And so, Father, we come into your presence in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come to hear your word. We come into your presence. And Lord, we have so much to let go of. And we want to lay our burdens down. And sometimes we feel so trapped. And it's here in this safe place, God, where we can relax and turn our gaze to you and be fed. May it be so for everyone in the room. In the name of Jesus, we all said, amen. Well, we're talking about bitterness, and bitterness can kind of be a load, you know? Hey, huh? You know, like a big heavy backpack that you're carrying around, full of, uh, oh, let's find out. Bitterness and a grudge. Well, let's see. Oh, this pocket. So, let's see here. Oh, full of rocks. Bitterness is like rocks. Here's one. Mary. This is Mary. Mary told me I was incapable of love when I was 23. Larry. Larry stole my commission. Gary ran over my dog. Perry, as a child, she left me alone with him. Barry abused my kid. Carrie never got caught. Boy, they're so far down deep inside. Oh, it's a little one. Well, maybe this is yours. Carrying around a grudge. Carrying around bitterness. Got something that's become so familiar, it's just a part of your body. Decades. Some grudge. Something that you carry around. That's just become a part of you. It's hard to imagine somebody carrying something around like this for all these years, and yet so many people do. They carry a grudge. They carry bitterness. Something that was offended them. Some some rock of offense. Big, small, heavy light. Somebody did you wrong, and you're going to get back at them. You're going to be bitter. You're going to hold a grudge. You're going to make them pay. The truth is, there's a dark part of us that likes to carry bitterness. Because somehow in our twisted thinking, we begin to think that if we will hold a grudge on somebody, that we have leverage on them. That we're going to make them pay, even if they never know that we are carrying a grudge or bitterness. But somehow, we think we get control and power over somebody else by carrying a grudge, by being bitter. We think it works. The problem is, when we carry a grudge and bitterness, the only person that it seems to affect is us. We become our own slave to the grudge. The reality is, is we don't move forward. We get trapped and we start living in the past. So I ask you today, how are you feeling these days? You got something? Did something immediately click in like, oh yeah, 
Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I got somebody who messed up my life. And I'm never going to let him go. Maybe you'll have to rummage around the bottom of the backpack to find it. Maybe it's just there all the time. So this morning's for everybody who feels trapped. This morning is for everybody who's carrying around some load in a backpack of bitterness, medium size, big size, small, whatever. So ask yourself this simple question. Do I, do I tend to live in the past? Am I moving forward? Do I seem happy every day? Or is there some low-grade sort of discontent each day? You feel like something's sitting on you, crushing you, holding you down? So if you answer yes to any of these, then maybe you have some small or large burden of bitterness. So let's see what King Solomon can say out of the book of Ecclesiastes, because this month of July we're studying Ecclesiastes uh, in the Bible. And uh, King Solomon wrote it about 3,000 years ago. And let's, it's a book of wisdom. There's about five books of wisdom in the Bible, and this is one of those books. It's probably, in my opinion, the pinnacle of wisdom writing. Um, and you guys are beginning to tell me, like, we've been studying this Ecclesiastes all month, and you guys are beginning to tell me, like, so does Ecclesiastes get to a happy ending? And, and really short answer is no. Does it all get resolved? You know, is, is, this, is there a sequel? You know, and like, No. And you'll see that Solomon has this interesting device in, in his wisdom writing. He'll observe something about life, usually kind of bad, or ambivalent, good, bad, whatever. And then he'll say, like, and then I saw another thing. And it always kind of leaves you scratching your head, like, what are you talking about? And this is not going to be any different today. It, it takes a keen eye to get what Solomon's talking about here and to begin to understand wisdom. So stick with it here, all right? Solomon identifies with this burden of bitterness inside of the human heart. And he provides some direction for letting go. And so it has a contrast of opinions. So here it is in Ecclesiastes, all right? In chapter 3, Solomon speaks for every man and woman who's lived long enough to see that the, the world just ain't just. That bad people get ahead and never get caught. And good people... They never get ahead. They never get a break. Right? He says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. That chapter 3, that famous one, this is the one you know because the birds did the song, turn, 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 to everything there is a season. This is that chapter. Moreover, Solomon says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, wickedness was there as well. Are you kidding me? Just wickedness all over the place. Oh, yeah, by the way, I gave you a handout, a fill-in-the-blank thing. So in case you get, you know, if you need this sort of distraction, and for all of you OCD people, I put uh, pieces of paper on the back back there with the answer key, so in case I skip one, you can go back there and fill it in, and you can be like, oh, I feel so much better. Okay, so you have that. to Get your golf pencil out and see if you can follow along. So here he is. He's going along with wickedness. And he's saying wickedness is everywhere. And he's pointing out the fact, this is your first one on there, that bitterness is hatred fa- facing backwards. Bitterness is hatred facing backwards because all it does is face back at you. 
You become the slave of it because the wickedness is all around you. And you become your own wickedness. Solomon sees injustice in the world. And Solomon, you know, he's a king, right? He's a monarch, and it's 3,000 years ago, so he's an absolute monarch. I mean, you know, um, and he's a head of state. And he sees this. He sees politics. He knows, and by the way, as a digression, um, in the book of Jonah, you know, um, Israel gets run over by the city of Nineveh, if you're familiar with this. And uh, the king of Nineveh, just, just to show you how dark and evil people can be, the king of Nineveh took the remaining uh, Hebrews, cut off their families' heads, and made them wear the heads around their neck as they marched to Nineveh. There's some evil people out there. And, of course, the book of Jonah, Jonah's saying, like, they didn't get caught. There's no justice in the world. Solomon's seen this kind of thing. It's like the Syrian president Assad gasses his own people, children. Right? We see this stuff in our own day. Evil kings, presidents, countries. And as he offers this response, and Solomon offers this response to the injustice that he sees in the world. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22. So just a few verses after uh, 3.16. So I saw that there is nothing better than that all should enjoy their work, for that's their lot. Who can bring them to see what will be after them? You get the idea? You're like, really? This is your big answer, Solomon? It's like, you're going to have to enjoy what you have. You're going to have to live simply and just simply enjoy the moment. The idea of rectifying and changing and bringing justice to everything may not necessarily happen. As a matter of fact, it probably won't, Solomon says. What more can you do but to enjoy every day? That's not the happy answer you're looking for, was it? But it is the wise answer. It's the wise answer. Solomon goes on to say it's easy to become a person of bitterness when you see the injustice. And he says, everything dies, including man. And you don't know if justice is going to be served. You're not God, is what he says. You don't have the 30,000 foot view. You haven't lived for millennium, millennium, millennium. You're not eternal. You don't know how it all works out in the end. You don't see this. You're just a, 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 a vapor, just a breath of air. You're here today and gone tomorrow. You don't have the perspective that God has. So here, everyone, is we get the first dose of Solomon's wisdom about life. A healthy perspective is everything. A new optimism is critical. A new optimism is critical to laying down the burden of bitterness in life. A new... Optimism is so critical to this, and so we're going to get to this and try and explain it because you could just be saying, like, oh, he's just telling us to all be happy and it'll all work out. Like, not quite, but not too far from it because there's a way that it happens, and that's what we're going to be working through here. See, optimism, then, is, is the direct answer to living in the past because bitterness will trap you in the past. 
It forces you to live in the past. Woulda, shoulda, coulda becomes your whole paradigm for life. And bitterness will keep you in the past because you keep wanting history actually to change. But history, duh, doesn't change. (laughs) Right? It is what it is. But bitterness will keep telling you, I think it's going to change if you can just hold this grudge long enough. You'll get justice somehow and you'll change the past. And that's not the way it works. A while back, I was talking to a very successful woman in her mid-30s. And um, she'd never been married. And she never had much success in dating. And um, so she said to me, she said, uh, hey, you got anybody in your church that I can date? And she was joking. We were joking around. I wasn't joking about her dating life. But she was, and I was laughing with her. And in the middle of our rather lighthearted conversation, suddenly her eyes got all welled up with tears. And her voice began to crack. And she said through her tears, my dad never thought I was very pretty. And for some 30 years, she carried around this single thought that stuck in her head from her dad. My dad never thought I was very pretty. So she decided she wouldn't date. One comment. Loaded into her backpack. Has she ever thought, has she ever even considered the fact that maybe her dad was wrong? Optimism is critical. Perspective is everything. Because bitterness steals your future because it has you trapped in the past. The future, everyone, is in God's hands. So this is where God comes crashing into the whole situation. The critical difference between someone with a burden of bitterness is that the person without bitterness is the person without bitterness sees a bright future. They actually see God as present. God becomes a hope in in the midst of darkness. This is why you're here at church is because all of us are thinking like, I hope God is present. And those that aren't and aren't people of faith are simply hoping against hope. People who are of faith are risk takers. They're optimistic people because God is the fire in their belly. The person of faith is not depressed or despondent or angry about the future because God can always be present. And this burden of resentment and bitterness can slide to the, to the back Because God is present. Instead, life just could very well be very exciting. Once again, we see Solomon's answer, and he centers on this critical point of perspective. What's your perspective in life? Where'd you get your perspective? How what are you holding on to? Ah, but here comes one of the most time-tested, proven spiritual habits a man or woman can ever learn about dealing with bitterness. So here it is, folks. This is the spiritual discipline. This is the habit you must acquire if you want to have the proper perspective. And it's simple. Silence is the spiritual discipline. For thousands of years, Christians have focused on silence in order to gain perspective on the world. This is where God shows up. This is the silence is the open space that you create in order for God to invade your life. 
Here it is. This is right out of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice offered by fools. For they do not know how to keep from doing evil. Keep in mind what he's talking about when they're doing evil and their offering is actually their mouth is moving. Never be rash with your mouth. Do not let your heart be quick to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you're upon earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Verse 7. With many dreams come vanities and a multitude of words. But fear God. This fear God isn't the shaking in your boots in the corner of the room type of fear, of course. It never is that when it says the fear of the Lord in the scripture. What it means is, is a reverence. You know what reverence and you know what awe ought to do to you? Spiritually speaking, make you go silent. Your offering, your best offering is not blah, blah, blah. Your best offering is silence before God. I am undone. I am seduced, as Jeremiah said. And my greatest act of worship is to say nothing. If you think you feel justified in your bitterness toward God, maybe your, your rock is God. Then don't be so hasty in your heart to accuse God. Don't be so ready to sound off at God, Solomon says. Because God sees everything from this top-down view, this long-term view. He has a different vantage point, and we do not. Better to listen to God's thoughts before you go on a tirade to the Almighty. This is what Solomon's saying. And I'll say this. Social media is a bitterness market. Social media is a bitterness market. You want to find bitterness inside your own heart and soul? It's all for sale out on social media and it'll cost you absolutely nothing. You can go there and get yourself so wound up so quick... And it will possess you. And you know what you do? Well, you do exactly what Solomon's saying not to do in chapter 5, which is like, then you start typing. Blah, 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 blah. And what happens? Who becomes ensnared? Who becomes a slave? Who gets trapped? Who gets angry? You! you social media is a bitterness market but as Henry Nowen one of my favorite authors Henry Nowen said this silence makes us pilgrims silence makes us pilgrims a pilgrim is somebody who travels light eats little gets a walking staff and goes on a journey into a foreign place that they've never been before and looks for God silence will make you a pilgrim It'll take you to a place of silence. And there you'll go on a journey. Let your words be few. Stand in awe of God. You see, Solomon says, once again, it's all about this perspective. Move back. Give space. Go silent. Now you've got to be wondering, just what kind of perspective have, do we have to have in order to lay this bitterness down? Are, are you telling us, preacher, that all we have to really do is so simplistically is just do some power of positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale? 
that all we have to do is plaster a smile on her face and think happy thoughts and all our bitterness and all of our woes will go away. Is that all I have to do? Is just have happy thoughts? Is this, is this, is this what you're thinking I'm telling you? So let's find out what it takes to remove this burden of bitterness from God's perspective. And we have to go to Jesus to see this work out. In the life of Jesus, this is an historical event, this is not a parable, so this actually happened. Jesus is preaching one day in the synagogue, and afterwards he's invited to go to a very well-to-do religious leader's home for a banquet in Rabbi Jesus' honor. Understand, the man is Simon, so Jesus is going to Simon's house. Simon is very, very important. He's very influential, and Jesus is very popular and a rabbi. And everyone wants to listen to him. So Simon, being a good political type person, invites Jesus to his house, even though he's very threatened by Jesus. Okay, welcome to the politics of the day, 2,000 years ago. And as the meal begins, the scripture says, a sinful woman comes in and falls at Jesus' feet. She cracks open an astronomically expensive vial of perfume worth a year's wages and begins pouring it on Jesus' feet. But that's not all. She's weeping uncontrollably, and she becomes so beside herself that her hair becomes unfurled, and she begins to use her long hair and the tears to wipe the dirt off of Jesus' feet. If it sounds undignified and weird, it is. The entire room in Simon's house is very uncomfortable. Moreover, Jesus does nothing to stop her. She throws all decency to the wind and begins kissing his feet. She's so grateful. Now, Simon is sitting over there judging Jesus and the woman and pretty much everybody else because Simon's bitter. And he's thinking these things in his head. And then, of course, Jesus, being Jesus, says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, all right. And then Jesus tells this parable. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them loved him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she's bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore I tell you, Simon, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Is Jesus saying, what's he saying here? Is that forgiveness is proportionate to your sin? Like it's an equation? That Simon needs to go out and do some hell raising so he can feel forgiveness? 
He needs to up his sin quotient. No, Jesus is telling Simon, Simon, your capacity to love is directly tied to your depth of gratitude in your life. You're an ingrate, Simon. You feel no gratitude. You think everyone owes you and you judge everyone else. You're a moral fundamentalist. You think you're right. I'm back on social media now at this point. Doesn't everyone think they're right on social media? If you would just hear my line that I'm about to type, you'll see the light, and suddenly you will drop your defenses and say, oh, praise you, Bob, because you are so right. Your capacity to love is directly tied to your gratitude. You don't think you need forgiveness, Simon. Or as one famous theologian centuries ago said, You have yet to consider the depth of your sin. You have yet to consider the depth of your sin. Because it's deep. He didn't get it. Simon didn't get it. You think this woman maybe had some bitterness in her heart? Because, you know, some scholars say that the sinful woman, who doesn't have a name, in the text, that she's actually Simon's daughter because they question how she got into the house. And by sinful woman, the code is that she was probably a prostitute because when you get kicked out and disowned by your father, then your only trade that you're left with is being a streetwalker. <laughs> the stone she carries may actually be her father. She came to believe because of Jesus that she was forgiven. Jesus was the embodiment of full acceptance. Maybe he preached on God's forgiveness that day in the synagogue. Who knows? Her perspective was brand new. She took her bitterness and she laid it at the feet of Jesus with the tears and the hair and the snot and the dirt and all the rest of it. Again and again, people keep asking Jesus, people like Simon, why do you associate with all this low-life riffraff, these sinners? And Jesus replies over and over, because they're sick and they need me and they have a wrong picture of God and they're like lost sheep and they're burdened by so many things that the religious leaders keep loading them up with. They think it's their fault. And Jesus says, I know what God is like. I know what God is like. It's nothing like your God, Simon, in all your righteousness. God is like good to the poor and so glad when the lost are found. And so overflowing with a a father's love for a returning child. So merciful to the despairing, the helpless, the needy. That's why I associate with the riffraff. Everyone, bitterness is the perception that you're not getting what you need. Bitterness is the perception that you're not getting what you need. But forgiveness produces gratitude. 
The truth is, nothing we desire in this world will stick to our hearts because our hearts lack the proper texture to be invested in, in a, a hope in the right perspective. Because bitterness is a Teflon heart, but gratitude is a sponge for pleasure. Yeah, bit, uh, gratitude is a sponge for pleasure. Oh, look down here in the bottom of my bag, sponges. I got sponges in there. They're awesome. Oh, one more sponge. Gratitude is a sponge for pleasure. But bitterness is a Teflon heart. Nothing will stick to it. But gratitude soaks up everything. Every child dancing in the aisle, bumping into everything and knocking things over at the grocery store, you smile about. As opposed to saying, like, hey, somebody ought to parent that kid. Everybody who's driving down the highway and is broken down on the side of the road, instead of saying, like, get off the road, you should take... Who, who taught you about car maintenance? And Stacey's like, maybe they need help. Too old, too slow, get out of my way. As opposed to, maybe they've lived a good life. I hope I'm still walking when I'm their age. You know, the best part about sponges is, is they travel well. It's a lot better than these rocks. What do you want to carry? Sponges of pleasure or rocks of bitterness? Nothing sticks to bitterness, and it drives goodness far away because it's so trapped in the past. Still trying to fix history. Gratitude's so honest. It's honest about itself. It knows it's not perfect. It says, I, I, I drive poorly as well. As opposed to, you know, like that one bumper sticker where it says, why is everybody driving too fast or too slow? Why am I the only perfect driver out here? Gratitude says, I drive bad too. I've cut people off. I've failed to signal. Simon lies to himself about how awesome he is. And in result, he's bitter. Forgiveness and gratitude are inseparable. So don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. You may be fully justified in your bitterness. Something wrong actually happened to you. Here's how forgiveness works. And we've all preached around here and taught on this, and you've probably taught somebody about this too. In forgiveness, you, I, I have no way to ever get this sentence right. I've worked on it now for decades. I don't have a snappy answer. Here's the way it works. You have to eat the offense. In forgiveness, you have to eat the offense. Justice doesn't come. That's the wisdom of Solomon. The, the wicked people win and the righteous people don't. Forgiveness has to eat the offense. It doesn't get fixed. But when you eat the offense against you, you become free. Bitterness captivates your heart. But forgiveness sets you free. This is a gift of grace from God. This is why the symbol is the cross in the church. Because it says right there, somebody died for you and you weren't worthy of it. It's because God loves you. You are free. It's a symbol of freedom. Let it go. Drop it. It's too heavy to carry around. Be a sponge. Soak it all up. 
Bitterness is that poison that causes us all to fall asleep and just become trapped in life. You, you, you wallow in, this, you, and you, uh, in bitterness, you swallow a bitter pill, and you just go on sleeping. But you take the forgiveness pill, and, and you become free. And then you become a sponge. And you soak everything up. Hey, you want a great read? You want to read a book, a fun book? C.S. Lewis, one of our favorite authors in the church, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called The Great Divorce. It's about a busload of Britons, uh, Brits, you know, so that's going to tell you a lot right there. They got bad teeth. Uh, so you got a, a, a busload of Brits, and they get on a bus, and they go to heaven. But not everybody likes it. Bitterness. So you want to read about this in a really fun way? The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Awesome, fun book. Not that big. Someone writes to tell you all about bitter people that are living a life of folly. Bitterness isn't a sin, everyone. Bitterness is just stupid, Solomon says. It, it, it's a trap. It doesn't work. It doesn't produce what you hope it's going to produce. That's what bitterness is. It's a deep pit that you fall into and you can't get out. So, so what do you have to gain by worrying? All your toil and all your pessimism... Who, who, who gets enslaved by this? You. Not, other people don't, don't pay. You lay down the burden of bitterness at the foot of the cross and you receive forgiveness. No wonder people cry. No wonder people, you know, like this woman at Jesus' feet. No wonder all the wheels come off their wagon. They're like, I, I'm free. I'm free. And they freed themselves from themselves. From themselves. Some of you have family members you had not spoken to forever because, you know, you're waiting for justice. It's not going to come, folks. You're going to have to eat it. I'm not saying trust them. I'm just saying there is a way to be with people. Some of you are waiting for, you know, somebody to fix something from your past, whether it be at work, whether it be at school or whatever. You didn't get what you think you deserved. It didn't work out. Somebody hurt you immensely. You set yourself free. You'll have to eat the offense. I suggested to somebody who kept going back to the same bitter situation, I said, why don't you take a rock and just set it on your desk when you go in each morning and say, you don't owe me. I'm free. There it is. I'll put it right over there. I set it down. I like gimmicks. They work. We aren't gimmicky enough in our spirituality. But you read the ancient uh, desert fathers and mothers, and they use gimmicks all the time. One guy, because he thought he talked too much, put a rock in his mouth for a year. <laughs> I say rock. It could have been rock. You're like, that's weird. Like, guess what? He didn't talk for a year, that's for sure. He learned silence. Brothers and sisters, you can carry some stone or bitterness to the grave, and nobody will pay except for you. You'll be the one. When you could be a sponge of pleasure, seeing each day as a gift of God, every meal as a gift, every tantrum of your child as a gift, everything as a gift. This is, this is the simplicity of wisdom. 
If you're waiting for Solomon to say it all turns out right in the end, it doesn't. It's just your perspective. Gain this heart of wisdom. That's what it's saying. Servers, if you want to come forward. Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body that's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup also after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Daily, everyone, daily, daily bread. This blood, this sacrifice, this cross, this is your way forward. At the foot of the cross. Some of you may very well need to come and after you tear off your piece of bread and dip it in the chalice and consume it here during the communion, if that's what you're doing. Some of you may need to go find a place around the table over here and just drop a knee and just say, I lay it down. Not my burden. Would you stand with me, please, and let us pray as Jesus taught us to pray? Because the power lies with Father. Join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And therefore, everyone, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Jesus Christ be as real to us as his food and drink. Come forward whenever you're ready. If, this is, if you're not ready, then you're certainly fine to stay in your seat. This is Lakeland. That's totally cool. Come forward. Tear off a piece of the bread. Dip it in the chalice. Consume it. And return to your seat in prayer. And so, Lord, you've fed us with spiritual food. And you've held us close. Jesus, you've let us fall at your feet. Lord, we're uncertain about whether or not we can let go of the past. We're uncertain about the hope of the future. So may we listen to Solomon, Lord, and live right now, just this day, and let things be as they are. May we let go of the rocks of bitterness, the stone of offense, and instead, Lord, have a soft heart and be a sponge for all things that are good and gracious. You're about to send us out to be light and salt into a dark and tasteless world. One more week, God, to see you everywhere and smile. Thank you, Jesus. And we all said, amen. Uh, Would you rise with me and we'll conclude with a good word? All right, um, let's end with the Celtic blessing. This is a, a benediction. It's a blessing. It's not a prayer. You don't need to close your eyes and fold your hands or anything. As a matter of fact, you want to do anything, you can open up your hands like this. Hey, and by the way, I don't say this, but every now and then, you know, uh, a lot of people, you see people crossing yourselves in here, like, hey, what are these guys, Eastern Orthodox or something or Roman Catholic? And it's like, 
Yeah, we're kind of a mutt church. So yeah, that's kind of true. Um, but what this, what this means is it means I am marked with the cross of Jesus. I walk around with this cross. That's all it means. That's, that's exactly what it means. It's, it's not magic or anything like that. It's saying I am marked by that cross. So you can choose to do that at the end if you want. All right, everyone, all together. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.